Hey, welcome to the Project Church podcast. My name is Caleb Cole. I'm the lead pastor here at Project Church in downtown Sacramento. And we're so glad that you came to hear this word. We believe this is going to encourage you, build you up, and give you life. So get ready to receive a message from God. Man, it is truly an honor to be with you all today, to be able to serve uh, Caleb and his bride as they get to go and experience some refreshment and renewal. And I know the heart of this church is for them to experience that and to pray for them in that. And so to have the chance to be able to serve you all and serve them as well is a great privilege. And I've been praying for this church for a long time. And to put faces with those prayers is always a beautiful thing as well. And Let's just call out the elephant in the room real quick. Best sermon ever. I mean, come on. No pressure or anything, right? But uh, I feel like, you know, there's two things I want you to know. Number one, I'm just a beggar trying to show other beggars where the bread is. (laughs) Uh, I'm hungry and thirsty just like you. But I do feel like I have a bead on where we can find some food this morning. So there is that. But I do feel like... Uh, This will be the best sermon ever simply because the star of the show is going to be Jesus. We're going to talk about his life. We're going to see what it means to understand his intention for us in this particular story that we're going to look at. And one of the things that I want to say before we jump into the word is it's important for us to remember that when we open God's word, the first thing we should be attempting to do is to see Who is God and what is he like? We should always be trying to figure out what is the Bible telling us about the character and the nature of God first. Then we can try to glean and understand what it's saying about how we live. Sometimes if we're not careful, we go to God's word and our immediate movement is to what is the Bible telling me about my life today? Obviously, that's encouraging at times. Sometimes that's helpful. But the thing that is always helpful is if I can see what is true about God, his character, his nature, the way that he is, and then allow that to inform the way that I live, now we're on to something. And that's going to be the hope of this story. We're going to be in the book of John today. John chapter 9. And it's a story that not only points to the goodness and the glory and the character of God based on what happened way back in the day thousands of years ago, but actually I believe this story can inform the way that we live right now in 2021 in light of the type of God that he is. So we're going to jump into the scriptures And we're going to see what he wants to say to us. Verse number one of John 9 says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. All right, let's stop right there. (laughs) Before we get too deep in, we got to get a little bit of surrounding information to help us to see why this story is so significant. It says, as he passed by, first of all, you need to know that the he is Jesus. He's walking with his disciples. They're traveling to a specific area. And as they are going, they encounter a man who it says here is blind from birth. 
Now, this is an extraordinarily significant piece of data for us, the reader. Now, if you've been around church at all, or if you've ever heard about Jesus and never been to church, you probably know about Jesus, that he has been associated with healing people who were blind, right? You've heard of this before, Jesus heals blind people. But there's something significant about the notability of what it says here in this text. It doesn't say that there is a man who is blind, but it says what? He is a man who was blind from birth. This is really significant. Way back when Jesus was on earth in human form, I need you to know he wasn't the only person who was claiming to be the Messiah. Did you know this? There were other people who presumed to say that they were sent by God to rescue the people. And there were charismatic people. There were people who were able to manufacture the illusion of power. And people would actually follow those folks and be absolutely devastated to realize they weren't who they said that they were. So in a culture, in a situation like that, we need to do something to figure out how to filter out all these characters that are trying to say they have something to offer that they don't really have. So the religious leaders over years in time began to develop a system, a filter that would show that there was this baseline requirement for the individual who would say that they are the Messiah. So they came up with these four things that had to be true to even get to the point where you start talking about, is this the one who has been sent to save us? So number one, the Messiah had to be able to heal leprosy. Leprosy was a skin condition that people would come across and it would create these boils and festering sores on their skin. And in the time, there was no remedy for it. You could not be fixed medically from leprosy. It was a purity culture. So people who had leprosy with sores that wouldn't fully heal, they were considered to be unclean. So people would put them outside of the city. So nobody would deal with them. Nobody would interact with them. Imagine the shame that came with having leprosy. So the idea that somebody was a Messiah, they would have to have the power and ability to heal somebody who had that condition. So if they could interact with lepers and make their skin new again, now we're talking. Number two would be that they had to be able to heal a mute person. Somebody who had no voice, could not talk. The Messiah would have to have the power to be able to give them voice, to be able to help them to speak. The person could not communicate vocally, but then the Messiah would have the power to give them the ability to talk. The third one, and this again is probably one that you've heard of connected to Jesus, the Messiah would have to be able to deal in resurrection. He would have to be able to make dead people live again. So this is a pretty good list, right? You get somebody on this list knocking off all of these different requirements. Now we're on to something. 
Here's number four. And you might be able to guess by the setup that I've given us, what do you think is one thing that had to be true about the Messiah if indeed he truly had the power to back up his claims? You guessed it. He needed to be able to heal a man who was blind from birth. Now, why is that different? There were people who were once able to see, then went blind, and then were able to see again. Now, that's still a really big deal. And there are other stories where Jesus heals blind people. But the thing about that story is it might introduce a little bit of room for confusion. Was he really blind? Was he temporarily blind? Did it, did it, was he faking? Like there's a lot of room in there, right? Guess where there's no room? When somebody was born and from the day that they were born, there's a whole bunch of people who can attribute to the fact that this person who was born from the time that they were born was never able to see. Then they lived their life and still couldn't see. And all along the way, people could corroborate that story all the way to the point where somebody would come and make the person who could never see now see. Now you see why that's a big deal. So the fact that this story starts out with Jesus having an interaction with a man who was blind from birth sets the table for something extra special. So the fact that it points this out means that Jesus, who already has a reputation where people know he's doing miracles, they've heard the messages he's preaching, the fact that he stops... And he turns toward the beggar who is blind from birth. Guess what people started doing? Oh, man. Wait a minute. Jesus is talking to him. If he's talking to him, this might be. Could it be? Because that's one of the four. Because if he, if he, wait a minute. So now they're starting to get excited. And he starts to lean in to where this man who was blind from birth, the one who could never see, has Jesus, the one who supposedly has all of this power standing right in front of him. Verse number two. says, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, there's a couple things I want to point out about this verse that I think are really important. In this time, if there was some sort of perceived imperfection physically in someone, they would falsely attribute that supposed imperfection to sin that was present in that person's family. Somebody did something wrong, and because they did something wrong, the punishment for them doing something wrong is now that their children or their children's children have this thing that's going on in their body. So they would say it's because of the sin that they uh, committed somewhere in their line. And the disciples here even go, did this dude sin in the womb before he was even, is it this man's sin? Like how could he have sinned? Because he, he was blind from when? From birth. So they had to be inferring, did he even sin in the belly? Like what? Let me say thing, one thing. 
One of the greatest and most important things we need to remember is that we are created imago Day in the image of God. And even though we may not understand what is a perceived imperfection physically in someone's life, we are not less than because we were born differently in what is supposedly a deformity. No, 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 no. This is God's gift to humanity that when we are made, we are not made by mistake in any respect. So even if we don't in our humanity understand why we have this malady, God knows, and it is not something that makes you less than. God is working in ways that we can't see. Number two, what we need to see about this verse and why it's so significant is he very clearly makes sure that they understand. I don't know what you think this whole thing is about, but this whole thing, every aspect of what is happening in life is for one purpose and one purpose alone, to bring glory to God. It is not about humanity being elevated. It is about anything that happens in humanity happening so that he would receive the glory. Let's never be confused thinking that it's about us first. If we're not careful with good intentions, sometimes we can find ourselves doing just that. We want to glorify God and we want to give our lives to him, but then if we're not careful, it becomes about what we experience and how quickly we get what we want. But even when those things happen, it's not for our satisfaction alone. Sure, he satisfies our longings, but when he does that, it's so that he would receive the glory for providing what we need. That is a huge an important thing for us to remember. Jesus goes on to say in verse 4, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Has anybody ever heard that statement before? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Why I love this statement is it's a double entendre, which means that he's saying two things in one statement at the exact same time. The two things are this. This world is broken. In Romans chapter 8, it says that all of creation is groaning and longing to be restored back to the way that God had intended. Jesus, in Philippians chapter 2, it says, empties himself out, takes on the form of human flesh, breaks into this broken story, filled with darkness, and entering into this darkness is the light of the world. So that's what he's telling them. As long as I'm here, I'm the light of the world. But what is he about to do? He's dealing with someone who physically has only seen darkness since they were born. So not only is he the light of the world in big general ways, but he's also the light of the world in a very specific, very real, connected to humanity way. What we need to hear right now is that some of us are 
falsely believing that God is only this God, far off, distant, things he did in the past, disconnected from our story. Maybe he's looking at us with affection. We're hoping and crossing our fingers we're doing okay. He's not just a God who is far off. He is with us in our circumstances. This is a very real truth. This is not just a storybook fable. God is not just a God who is distant. Says, I am the light of the world. Now, the party's about to start right here. Verse 6, having said these things, he spit on the ground and he made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam which means sent, write that down, circle it, underline it. This means sent. We're going to come back to that. Then it says, so he went and washed and came back seeing. Before I get into the goodness of this story, let's just stop for a minute and celebrate that it says in the verse, a man who was blind from birth, my friends, a miracle that could never even be conceived by human understanding, now takes place. The dude never saw anything, and it tells us he came back seeing. Before we go any further, does anyone want to celebrate the fact that there is a God who can do a miracle in a way that we could never humanly understand? He came back seeing. Now let's rewind a little bit. It says, Jesus makes mud, puts it on his eyes, and tells him to wash in a very specific place. Tells him to go to the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So I took a trip to Israel about a year and a half ago, and it was a game changer in my life. I sat in the very place where this story unfolded. I was on the steps of the pool of Siloam, and I started learning about the history and the significance of this pool culturally in this time and in the area. What I learned about the Pool of Siloam is that it was one of two pools that were a significant gathering and meeting place in this culture at this time. The other one is the Pool of Bethesda. Has anybody ever heard of this pool? There was another miracle that happens right around that pool earlier in John chapter 5. So the Pool of Siloam was a place that was filled with community coming together to congregate and to interact, there would be a marketplace kind of set up, some booths, kind of like a farmer's market. People were bringing their, their uh, goods and food to sell and to trade. And you would go there and you would bathe and you would cool off and you would spend time. And one of the biggest purposes of the Pool of Siloam was so that you could go to this one place, this hub, where you could start to figure out what was going on in and around the city center. So down there where the city is hopping and the political and the economic center is going on, the religious center is going on, you want to know if you live in the periphery, if you live out on the outskirts, what's going on in the city. So they didn't have Twitter. (laughs) They didn't have Facebook. 
There was no hashtags to follow, right? So how do you know what's going on in the areas where you don't live? Well, you start talking to people and you interact with folks from other places. So the Pool of Siloam was a place where everyone would come together and they would say things like, oh, you know what's going on with Miss Jenkins over here? Oh, it's crazy. Like, I'm, let me tell you. And they would start saying, oh, you don't understand. I heard that they're going to start doing this in the city and we need to prepare. We need to be careful. We need to start, to, oh, they're raising the prices on, the, like, they would share this information, then guess what they would do? They would go back to where they lived. So the pool of Siloam, which means sent, was a place where they would get what they needed and be sent back to their homes. So there's a man who was blind from birth who's hanging around the pool of Siloam. So there's people who can back up the story that this man was blind from birth right there in the area. Jesus says, I want you to put this mud on your eyes, and I want you to go to the pool, and I want you to wash it off over there at the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he sends him to the pool to a place where everybody's gathered together. So what? they could get all of the important information and take it back home. <laughs> Imagine if you went to the pool of Siloam to get the juicy tidbits of news, and all of a sudden, you hear a little commotion because there's a guy wiping his face, and the people around him are going, what? I can't believe it because he's saying, I can see. I can see. And everybody's going, what's going on over there? And then the people are going, this guy, he was born blind and now he can see. And people are going, wait, what? Hold up, wait, what's, what's happening? And so they start coming and they're going, wait, what's going on? And they're telling stories going, wait, no, you don't understand. There's a guy up there and he was blind and now he can see. And people are going, nah, come on, man. It doesn't make any sense. How could that happen? They're going, no, I'm telling you, I, was, I saw him since he was a little kid. And then people are congregating. Imagine the buzz. Because <laughs> not only are they excited that a man was healed because he was blind, but remember, this is one of the four. So if this is one of the four, not only are they going, I saw a miracle. They're saying, this man who did this, where is he? Because he, he, he might be the one. Look at what it says in the text, verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. This right here is humanity on display, right? This is so much of what we've experienced over the last 18 months. And what it looks like for us in our humanity to believe or disbelieve the accounts and the propositions of other people, right? So there are some people who are going, look, I'm telling you, I live right, it says his neighbors, I live right next door to this cat. Imagine, you think about where you live. Maybe if you've lived in a place for a long time and your neighbors, you got to know them a little bit, young married couple, this young married couple has a child. This little child is a baby. You watch this baby grow up into a toddler, into a young man, and then you see them grow up. You, as a neighbor, would be able to corroborate some stories from way back. Look, look, I've seen him ever since he was a little kid. 
So it's a very practical thing that doesn't take a lot of mysterious understanding. These people are going, no, I, I remember when they had the baby and they realized that he couldn't see and the grieving and the weeping and the praying for them and the consideration that we had to come alongside as their neighbors to help them. Like, I'm telling you for sure this dude was blind. Then there's other people, it says he was begging there, so they have walked by him before, they've seen him blind before, and they're going, no, I'm telling you, I always see this guy over here, I know for a fact he was blind, and now he can see. But then there's other people who are like, come on, bro, there's no way, like that's impossible, I get that you like the idea that this guy is healed, but there has to be some explanation for this. Maybe it's somebody who looks exactly like the guy you knew. I don't know how that would work, but all I'm saying is there is no way that that could be true. You know, I love this. It tells my story. Because if I go back to New Jersey where I grew up, guess what would happen? A debate just like this. I would show up to the people where I grew up, and guess what some of them would be saying? I can't believe it's the same guy. I can't believe. I remember when you were little, I saw the way that you used to live. I know how selfish you were. I know the way that you used to be so self-focused, you didn't care about anybody. And now look at you. It's a miracle. But guess what? There's probably going to be some other people who go, nah, <laughs> I was with you, man. I remember what you did. There's no way you're any different. I remember your path. I remember your story. Nah, you could say whatever you want, but that's, that's not a miracle. It's not real. Coming back to the text, in the midst of this debate, in the midst of this arguing, amongst the people who are surrounding the miracle. In the middle of all of that, the guy himself keeps saying over and over again, I am the man. No, it's me. It's really me. I'm telling you, you can argue all you want to. You can go back and forth all day, but just like it says in the famous song, Amazing Grace, I once was blind, but now I see. This is what I need you to hear. In the same way that it is a miracle that a man who never saw anything is now able to see. And the human explanation is like, there is no way on earth that this is possible. Some of us have been feeling that about our lives as it relates to God, that I'm too messed up, I'm too dirty, I've got too much story that is too far from God, I've made too many mistakes, i got too much guilt and shame, I've got too much hidden in my secret places, I've got too many things that I've done wrong, even right now, even the things before I got here, you going to tell me that somebody like me could find healing and wholeness and restoration, a miracle of a new life? Are you telling me there's no way? And in the middle of this, it's this cry over and over, I am the man. It's me. 
And what he's saying to you right now is just as big as you think a miracle it would be to heal a man who was blind from birth. It's that big a miracle for all of us to find salvation. There is no one in here who has earned salvation. There is no one in here who was better than others even though they made mistakes. And because they made less mistakes, they were worthy to be fixed up. No, I once was blind and now I see. And here comes why this is the best sermon ever. Verse 10, so they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the best sermon ever. The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. How did this happen? The man called Jesus. If you want to preach the best sermon ever, you just got it. In how many words? The man called Jesus. If you got those four words, you can preach the best sermon ever. Because the thing that can never be confused about this man's story is that he earned something. That he worked towards something. Because he was in the right place at the right time. It was all about him. It was all about his glory. They weren't ready to throw a party because this man was healed. They were throwing a party because somebody needs to be he celebrated because he did the healing. It was all about Jesus. This man called Jesus. If you keep reading in the story right after this, in the very next verse, <laughs> do you know what this group's next words were the neighbors and the people who were debating, people from far off, people who were near. Everybody's trying to get to the bottom of this. They hear him crying out in the middle of the debate, It was me. I am the man. And this man called Jesus did a miracle. Do you know what everyone's response is and should be? The very next verse says, They asked, where is this man? <laughs> Where is this man? Man, if there's anything that we can take away from this story, as it pertains to our lives right now in 2021, years removed from when this really happened, it's this, when our recognition of our brokenness and our need for hope and healing and purpose, some of us are searching for meaning in the midst of all that is going on in our lives. Some of us are filled with depression and anxiety and worry all the time. In some of us, there is a successfulness that is displayed in one part of our life, but an emptiness in another. And there's some of us who are longing for meaning when it comes to our vocation. There are some of us who have been trying to find healing and brokenness from things that have happened to us in the past. Some of us have experienced abuse and things that have occurred in our lives that were never ours to bring upon ourselves. And we've been living with guilt and shame. And at the instance when we realize that there is a possibility that there is someone who can do a miracle like heal a man who was blind from 
birth, our first response needs to be, where is this man? Some of us, if we're not careful, need to pay attention. Because our first response sometimes when we start to realize our brokenness, our guilt, our shame, our need for healing, instead of saying, where is this man, we turn to other things to try to satisfy ourselves. Even things that might be around Jesus. But what it's saying here is the right and proper and only response should be, where is he? Where is Jesus? Some of us right now in the midst of what we're sharing together in this time in the word are recognizing that it's time. It's time for me to stop trying to dig myself out of this situation. It's time for me to stop trying to muscle my way forward and figure things out on my own. It's time for me, some of us are saying, even as a Christian person, somebody who follows Jesus, you're realizing in this moment, maybe when things get tight, maybe when things get hard, my first response isn't to say, where is he? And you're realizing, I need to give him my attention again. It's in this moment that I want to say, no matter what your situation is, whether you're somebody who would say, I'm a far off sinner, I've never been to church, I've done so much dirt, you have no idea. Or somebody saying, I grew up in the church, I know all these Bible verses by heart. Guess what? There is no different gospel. There is no different good news for each group. There is one source, one hope, and it is Jesus. Where is this man? So I want to pray. And I want to ask you to just for a moment, in the quietness of this little section of time, to consider where your heart, where your soul currently is. Remember our goal as your eyes are closed in this moment, like you remember our goal jumping into the story was to first say, what is true about God? What is true about his nature, his character? What is he like? And then the second part of that is what is that saying to me about how I should live? Some of us in this quietness are realizing that what the nature of his character tells me is that I need to stop trusting in myself, stop trusting in people, and start trusting in him with all of who we are. And there are some of us in this moment who are saying, I used to trust him with all of my heart. I used to go to him first, but now it's time for me to give him my life again. As you're praying, I just want you to consider one question. What is God telling you to do about this? What is he telling you to do right now? For some, he's telling us it's time to finally open our hands to let go of the hidden things that we've been trying to hold on to in our pockets and to trust God with them. For others, he's telling us to finally trust him, that he will hold us and will forgive us. 
And for some of us, he's telling us it's time to finally say yes. Yes to him with our lives. If you're here and you're saying, I don't know that I could ever be good enough to be rescued, hear very clearly, it was the man Jesus that did the healing. It wasn't the blind man. (laughs) And if you're saying, I'm dry and I'm tired and I've been around church and I've lost my way, it's the man Jesus (laughs) that brings healing and restoration. So I want to give you a minute. Just respond to him. What is he saying to you right now? We want to see who you are and what you're like, God. And in realizing your goodness, your glory, the character, the love, the grace that is held within you, we say yes to whatever it is that you lead us toward right now. Help us to see that it is never about us. It is always about you and your glory. And we give you our lives in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.